Welcome to episode four of Her Own Universe podcast. Today I'm sitting down with talented book designer and graphic designer Jordan Wanamaker, who is a creative force utilizing her years of experience working in the publishing industry for various big name companies in Manhattan, as well as taking on countless freelance clients to carve out a design career path for herself. Jordan actually designed the original A Lovely Universe logo as a gift for my 25th birthday and just recently helped me with the rebranding for the online shop this year. Jordan is currently living in New Jersey, but is a Southerner at heart with her home state being South Carolina. She graduated from the Savannah College of Art and Design, somewhere I also graduated from, and a place that means a lot to both of us. We actually met there as transfer student roommates living in a Craigslist apartment that we both found by chance and wound up hitting it off right away and have been really great friends ever since. We both started our lives in Savannah with the same hunger to jump right into what this kooky, magical city had in store for us. Eager to learn as much as we could, connect with like-minded people, and just soak up that truly special chapter of our lives which may or may not have included a lot of red wine and late nights on our porch or hanging out at the Jinx and Hang Fire Bar, but that's a whole other story for another time. We won't get into that too much. I'm lucky enough to still be in Jordan's orbit and happily watching her career unfold, which most recently has included designing the cover for Oprah's latest book, along with so many other wonderful projects. The Oprah thing is pretty big, though. I loved sitting down and chatting with Jordan as always, so I'm excited for you to hear, especially if you yourself have any interest in getting into a freelance design career. She has a lot of great nuggets of advice, so I really hope that you enjoy this conversation. Here, I feel like I have big shoes to fill after listening to your first couple of episodes. Such great combos, so I'm excited to be a part of one myself. So excited, and I feel like I know so much about you, but there's so much more to learn. And I know that the listeners, and then also just like our mutual friends and family that might be listening to this, are going to be excited to hear more about your story. Um, so I want to take it back just before where you are right now. What are some of the things that inspired you growing up to become creative, and how that really? to where you are now? Well, it started, I mean, when I was growing up, I was always sort of a creative kid, always somebody who loved doing crafts and painting and had these really intricate, my mom had saved them for years. I had these really intricate collage books that I would make where I would save a lot of magazines, cut out pictures and put together my own little, you know, lookbooks or collect all the articles I liked from a magazine and put them together in a notebook so that I could keep yeah. them all, you know. That's like, a lost <laughs> art. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, like Pinterest. Was- it was like my own little Pinterest like I like this yeah. article I like this picture so I was always in tune especially with magazines I think that was what I realized that I had I didn't know that it was graphic design at the time but looking back me starting to identify you know what I liked about why something the way something looked and of course I was always a big reader I have always been someone who loved books and loved writing my own stories and doing stuff like that so when I was thinking about going to SCAD, it was actually, I was before then was wanted to be a writer. Like that was going to be my thing. I wanted to, I was really interested in books and magazines, but thought that I would sort of go at it from that end. And then in high school, I took AP art history and I loved it. I had so much fun and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so interesting. And especially, you know, 20th century art history, learning about the Bauhaus and constructivism and stuff like that. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be an art historian. And, you know, it was like a different thing every three months where I was like, oh, maybe 
maybe I'll do motion media for concerts because I just went to a concert and they had a cool display. It was like I was sort of bouncing around and couldn't really figure it out. So I felt like art school would have been a good place for me to just sort of play around and try different things. Um, so, you know, there was sort of like all these little seeds, you know, album artwork. Like I, I you know, would collect CDs and loved, you know, looking through the art and the pages and thinking, oh, that would be cool to do. And But just sort of was all over the place. Couldn't really settle on one thing. And I had a lot of interest and I was always sort of figuring out how can I combine these things. So then I, when I got to SCAD, graphic design sort of seemed to be a nice umbrella degree program. And then I also took, I minored in creative writing so that I could sort of keep that going. And so it was sort of perfect because my whole time at SCAD, I was taking all art and design classes on one hand. And then the other half were English classes and, and liberal arts type stuff. So I was able to experience both, but I knew that I wanted to go to an art school and it was more I mean this sounds cheesy but it was also more of the I was looking forward to the lifestyle of art school you know like mm-hmm. going growing up in a small town where it was not um, there weren't a lot of people like me you know no one listened to the same music I did no one right dressed like I did. So I would look at movies and TV shows and things of like kids in cool cities that that were artsy. I was like, oh, those seem like the kind of people I would be friends with. I feel like that's something we bonded on too when we first got to SCAD because we both were transfer students and Mm -hmm. we didn't have those first two years in the dorms and we didn't start off there but we both were on the same path of wanting that and we met in a craigslist apartment and that sounds a lot (laughs) shadier than it was because that apartment was gorgeous it was literally (laughs) we we lucked out so so, well sort of (laughs) well it was it was another day but (laughs) but we like found each other similarly i think we both had that same drive of just wanting to be around people that were like-minded we both I think we're pinching ourselves when we were there and working on projects on the floor in our rooms next to each other listening to music and that we're still kind of doing that in a weird way but like we can actually make money at it now or at least try to (laughs) it really was perfect no you're right like I feel so lucky when I talk about that experience because I feel like college can be a really hard time for people and plenty of people who did peak in high school there's plenty of people who you know did didn't figure things out until after college but I really did feel like that time at SCAD was really transformative and it was you're right it's so nice to be around so many different people doing different things and it was like our our friend like Ryland who's designing chairs winning awards and having friends who are trying out for Project Runway, designing fashion and people, you know, it was just everybody was doing like really cool things. It's really, and everybody was really into it. Like everybody really liked what they were doing and no one was really, I I liked that no one was jaded or felt like, it was like, of course people would complain about certain things because people love to complain, but I didn't feel like it was, anyone felt like it was something they had to get through. It was something that they were happy to be doing and grateful to be there. And I think it was a mistake at the time time for me to think that taking all these random classes and different things was a problem because I wasn't zeroing in on stuff. But now looking back, I see how fundamental that wide range of education was to the way I work now and to the job that I have and to just everything, you know, so it was a perfect experience. I, you know, I can't recommend it enough. And I know a lot of people who designers who ask me, they're like, do I need to go to art school? And obviously it's a not cheap it's a privilege that I am very grateful for and I know is not something that everybody can have and I do think you can be 
self-taught to a certain extent, but like, if you can, you mm-hmm. should, because yes. it's just, it made me such a full person intellectually and, you know, just sort of set me up on the right path. One of the things I love the most is that like, cause we were off campus for most of our time, all of our time pretty much, but Savannah mm-hmm. is basically the whole city is the SCAD campus. So it's like your playground. And I don't know if many people listening have been there, but you should go because it is like the most unusual, magical uh place especially if you're a creative or you love to write like it's just aesthetically gorgeous and there's so much beautiful so we would step outside of our apartment and we weren't even considered you know on we were on west 37th street like that wasn't considered the nicest neighborhood in the world but it was still so beautiful and you'd walk out your door and see this architecture and the spanish moss and we could walk down the street and be at one of the theaters that scad had that you know was a building where you could take classes and they had different weeks that would go on throughout the year for different industries where they bring in people to talk to you like the most amazing designers and people in all these different industries to just talk and inspire you and it was I'm sure a lot of colleges do that but they were so specific and really showing you okay you want to be an artist you want to be a designer you want to do xyz and it's not a career like finance or something where it's like a very clear-cut way mm-hmm. it's, it could be all over the place and they kind of showed us how to do that or at least that it was possible and you could do whatever you yeah. want with that from there so. yeah that was so valuable yeah and, and sort of seeing how you could kind of create your own path and they kept always saying you know university for creative careers and I felt like that was you know like their sales pitch but it really is true that I'm glad that I went somewhere that really focused on how to monetize it and how to really make a career out of it I remember people were complaining when they dropped sculpture as a full major and it was like what I can't major in sculpture anymore it's like that doesn't mean you can't still do those things and enjoy those things and I love that I took painting classes and printmaking classes because those things inform me as a designer but I learned a, a thing that I could do for a living and yeah, I think you're right. I think the I, it was really inspiring visually to be there. With, we lived on 37th Street, but we also lived in a converted Victorian mansion with <laughs> Corinthian <laughs> columns. And yeah. it was so incredible, you know, and so beautiful. And, um, you know, I also like what you said about it being our playground. I think that was another reason I chose it because I had thought about applying to SVA and Pratt, and these New York City art schools. And I know a lot of people who had great experiences there. And there's, of course, the access to internships easier and things mm-hmm. like that. But I was so worried. I thought about that, but I felt like I would have been swallowed up at that age in New York City. It was so much easier to get to know people because you'd meet somebody in class, see what they're doing that's cool. And then you go to a bar that night and you see the person and you say, hey, and it was so much easier to sort of make those connections because it was such a community, you know? Yeah. And in my dreams, I would love to move back down there and live a life there. The way of living is just slow and a little kooky and... (laughs) You're right. Like being able just to walk to your friends at house or at night, being able to meet all sorts of people. And it wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't like we had to take subways. We could ride bikes. We could walk. We could drive. There was so many options and it was a great place. When you think back to those experiences, what are the top three takeaways that come to mind? You know, one that I mentioned was, like I said, having um, a diversity of classes and that sort of can get into this in a little bit. But being a book designer, when you are handed a book about a certain topic, it helps to already have sort of a baseline knowledge of it. And it really taught me how to take on those liberal arts classes and art history classes just sort of gave me gave me like a good intellectual framework where I felt comfortable jumping into anything. And, you know, to the point where 
I, my first job out of college was at an Ivy League university press. And I felt like I could sort of stand on my own there where 18 year old me from Greer, South Carolina would not have had that same confidence and that sort of same, you know, so I just, I love that I got to try so many different things and learn and learn what I didn't like, you know, to do things that I was like, this is not for me, like web design and stuff like that. The digital stuff, it was not, I didn't, it didn't click with me as much, but when I took the production classes and we were picking out papers and, you know, printing treatments and things like that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I love picking out paper. I love picking out inks. I love doing this part of it. So um, and then I would also say, yeah, you know, the the wide social network it gave me, I, you know, I, I think sometimes when some people complain about their experiences in college, I think that they sort of when they say, oh, I didn't feel like my school did enough for me. And I think that's not a good attitude to have because the attitude is sort of what can you do with the school? And oh. so for me, it wasn't a certain career fair that set me up for success in my career. It was the people that I met. And where those people now are and keeping that community. I mean, when I see what you're doing, I have an illustration and, you know, the collaborations we've done and how Mm -hmm. that's informed my life and my, my work and how, um, you know, I have an illustration friend who he's a New Yorker cartoonist now, and we've, you know, collaborated on pieces that he's done there and having this really wide network of really creative people to inspire me and to see what they're doing and to tap into. And then also it's sort of such a community and going there is such a special thing. I've since met in New York and elsewhere, so many people who went to SCAD that I didn't know at SCAD and we just immediately clicked because we shared this thing you know this sort of experience and so I've met designers who were you know a few years older or behind me and we've worked together and really clicked because they're like oh you went to SCAD oh cool and then we yeah it's such a connecting thing yeah so I really I think that that was great um and then I've really uh appreciated my connection that I've still had to it and you know being connected to the school and doing portfolio reviews and things with them has been just a really great experience that makes I loved when the people would come talk to us like you mentioned and so when I was in school I was like oh I would love to be the person that comes back and does this and so it allows me to sort of pay it forward and feel like I'm taking on a sort of mentorship teaching role in my life too, which I didn't realize was something I liked until I had, you know, gone back there and done stuff with them. It's very special. Moving to New York after college, it was sort of GAD 2.0 because everybody from SCAD had moved to New York that was in our circle or most of them. And, you know, I think that's a really hard transition. Those first few years after college, when you're trying to figure it out. And if I didn't have that network of support already built in, in a big city, it was like, I moved to New York. I had a built-in friend group. I literally slept on your couch the night before my job interview. And you also like, like, I mean, I don't know if this is the most professional, but whatever, like, remember you like, in and I was at the dive bar on the corner and brought it rolled suitcase. my suitcase in the yeah. bar. Yeah, <laughs> why not? Yeah. What was that first job like, and how did that lead you to where you are now? So yeah, I was very lucky again with the SCAD connections. I was going to go work at Columbia University Press. That was my first job. It was the first interview request that I did, and. Of course I had, I probably applied to 80 jobs. I heard back from three. So, mm-hmm. you know, if anyone out there is applying for jobs right now and thinks, why do I never hear back? It's not just you. That's just 
right. the process. So, you know, sort of getting frustrated, but I heard back from Columbia and they had had a guy who'd worked there before who went to SCAD and they were like, oh, we really liked him. He was a really good fit. And, you know, we think maybe you would be too. Do you want to fly here for an interview? And it was my first interview request. It was the first everything. And I remember my dad, my dad, always the realist was like, you know, no one gets their first job interview. Just, mm-hmm. you know, don't get your hopes up. I hope it goes well, but just, I was so excited. And yeah. so, ex- and he was didn't like, you oh, she's over my house. Like where you were I sleeping did, on literally. my couch and like yeah. that morning. I remember. Yeah. I, I got on the hour. He went on the like, R train, like the all the R train, to, all the way to Columbus circle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was, I went all the way there. And I, for me, I was like, okay, well, if I don't get the job, at least it's just, I get to go to New York and see my friends and, right. and spend the weekend. Practice. Yeah. And, but I was, I knew I was in trouble after the interview because I loved it so much and we were sitting in the conference room and I'm looking around and the conference room was the main library and I just saw all these books and I was so distracted looking at the spines and looking at everything and such a fun week with you and Stephanie and Blakely and I was just like oh man I'm gonna be really sad if this doesn't work out because this is like I could see it like I can feel this three days later I got home I got the job he was called my dad crying and he was like this is why I told you not to get your hopes up and I'm like shut up I got the job (laughs) right it's a good thing (laughs) thank you for your reality check but I got it yeah good crying so yeah I, I started at Columbia I had applied to a lot of big places but Columbia I mean it's obviously Columbia is a big institution but the press compared to other publishing houses is small publishing is basically sort of three rings I would say there's you know trade publishing which is the big five Penguin Random House Harper Collins Simon and Schuster you know these big name publishers that publish most of the contemporary fiction and have the rights to a lot of classics that come out and more trade nonfiction and then there's academic publishing which is university presses, academic presses who publish mostly nonfiction for a lot of it is textbooks that you say, but it's sort of weird. I didn't really know what a university press did because SCAD didn't have one at, at the time, but they basically, it's it's to help support the mission of the university. So whatever the university might be really good at, it helps them to publish books in that field to support it. So Columbia had a big business school a big social work program and a big East Asian humanities program. So they did a lot of translated Japanese literature and things like that. So, and then there's educational publishing, which is more specifically textbooks and stuff like that. So when I would say I work for a university press, people are usually like, oh, you, so you design textbooks. I'm like, well, kind of, but not really, you know, it's kind of its own thing, but I didn't realize it was this whole world. And that job is what kind of got you into concentrating on books before that you you were toying with the idea, but open to anything. Yeah, I was open to anything, but I did sort of senior year at SCAD. I really did zero in on books. It's cheesy. I feel like such a like eye roll when I tell this story, but I was in Japan with my dad and I was at a museum and I sort of going back in my forth in my head about, you know, I love books. I love reading. I love doing this, but I like design. You know, what am I going to do? Feeling this sort of rush to figure it out. I didn't do an internship that summer. So I was like, oh, I'm, I'm screwed. Everyone else is doing internships. And I was in this museum and I saw they had a whole art exhibit on books and book bindings. And they were so beautiful. And it just, I don't know why it didn't really click with me that I was like, oh, wait, I could just design books. If I like to read, then I can still read the books and be involved at a publisher, but then I get to visualize them. So my last whole last semester or last two quarters at SCAD, I pretty much redid my whole portfolio where I was take an English class that I was in and I redesigned the cover for every book in the English class. And then I had, I'd done a class where we did a cookbook. So I designed a cookbook. 
And then, yeah, I would just, and then as gifts at the end of the class for my English classes, I would redesign the jacket from a book we read and would print them for the whole class and hand them out so everybody could swap out their jackets for like a better book jacket, yeah, you know? So it's nice. very clear that that was what I wanted to do at that point. But I was open to other things as like a bridge to that, you know? So I was like, if I get a job at a small design studio, I can focus on print and then maybe I can go to a publishing house. I did not think I could go straight to a publishing house. And a SCAD professor, someone did tell me, you know, books are kind of dying out. Maybe you should figure something else out. Like I wouldn't like put all your eggs in this basket. And I was like, why not? Why can't I be like one of the few people who does it? Right. And so I felt really vindicated when I got that job because I was like, well, I did get the job in publishing. And it was really a great first job because I got to do everything. Mm -hmm. I got to, you know, usually at bigger places, it's like one person, it has like a lane, you know, you just do covers, you just design the interior, you just design the promotional materials. And because we were a small place, you had to do all of that. And you were yeah. working directly with the printers. It was like a boot camp in publishing. Right. I learned everything that I know there. And it was so great because I also didn't have to wait to put myself out there like I remember the second week I was there she was like okay we're gonna give you you know your first cover assignment and I was like oh but I've never really designed a book before so I I don't I'm not ready and she was like well you're going to now you know like this is here you go <laughs> right, just jump and, in and, yeah instead of more traditional places or bigger places sometimes you're an assistant for a year or two where you're just buying stock art for a year and you're not really getting your hands dirty with anything I mean so to have the kind of portfolio that I was able to have even just after a couple of years there was so incredible. And I'm so grateful I started somewhere like that where I could really learn what I like, learn what I don't like. I learned that I really like doing covers and interiors. I love laying out the insides of books. And at a lot of places, that's two different things or two different departments. So I knew that I wanted to value, you know, going forward, being able to do both because it was cover design is really creative, but interior design, it's also creative, but it's also satisfies the left part of my brain, which is very like analytical and organized and sort of putting everything in grids and making sure everything has a place and is nice and clean and structured. And so I realized, and that was of strength that I had. So, you know, I was really grateful for that. I was there for five years. And then towards the end, I was starting to think, you know, I want to go do something else. I want to, you know, go somewhere else and learn something new. I was sort of feeling antsy. You know, after five years at your first job, I knew a lot of people who had already had two or three jobs by that point. Yeah. So I felt like I was, I should have been moving on to something. So I had sort of like a little bit of time off because I had a freak accident and worked from home for six months and was, you know, recovering from an injury. So that took me out of the space to think about what I wanted my next step to be. And I had been applying for jobs before then. And then that caused me, that sort of made me pause. And I was like, well, you know, I really want to freelance. I'd started to freelance on the side just for student loan payments. And then I thought, well, you know, I need to get some more experience with different kinds of books before I do that. So my five-year plan at that point was like, okay, I'm going to go work at a different kind of publisher and make more connections. So then in five years, I can be full-time freelance, you know, by the time I'm 30, I'll start my own business and then I'll have this whole thing. After I got back to work, I started to work at a magazine publisher uh, that I will not name in the books division. And it was doing, um, it was completely different than what I was doing. It was covers and interiors, but it was full photo shoots with uh, food stylists and workout books and cookbooks and much more producing. And I was so excited. I was like, this is so great. This is what I'm going to do. 
And this is going to be my next step. My boss gave me her blessing. She was like, I think this is a great next move for you. It was a title change, you know, all this stuff. And the third week there, the company got put up for sale. <laughs> and so I was like, oh crap, this was a bad idea to, to make this change. And I sort of panicked and spiraled because I was like, had this very secure job and this very sure thing for five years. And then all of a sudden I was sort of thrown into this more corporate situation, worrying about losing my job. And within six months I got laid off. And I was totally freaked out because I, I had read, if you were going to start a freelance business, you should have at least six months worth of income. Mm -hmm. And I was so scared. I was like, I don't have six months worth of income. How am I going to do this? How am I going to start my freelance business? I haven't had enough time to build up what I wanted. And then on the day that I got laid off, they told me you have six months separate. Oh, so wow. it was like, oh, that. okay. Yeah. yeah, that's meant so, to be then. Like, oh, that was what I kept saying. I can't right. freelance because I don't have six months worth of income saved. And then they gave me six months wow. worth of income. Slowly dive in and start to build that up. I realized very quickly that working for myself is a much better fit for me, as you know. The corporate stuff can be really draining and just the mental chess you play at work. It was just not a good situation. It was really hard and it was really, it was making me doubt myself and making me doubt my industry. And, you know, the other frustrating thing that really sort of came out towards the end that was solidifying my want to be a freelancer and want to start my own business was I really was kind of grossed out by the way that they treated women at work and the way that they treated people as they aged and seeing people in their 50s and 60s feeling so insecure in this industry and given so much to this how can right. you still feel that way that's so unfair you know that I don't I don't like that you still haven't felt secure all, after all this time I felt like in the corporate environment, it was like, who can compete for making this your whole life? And it right. was just like, I don't know. I don't want that. That's not yeah, that's me. that's so frustrating. So, that's interesting I didn't to know like that control. it happened in your industry too, like a creative industry where you would think that it was, you know, so open and to identify that, be like, I have to get the hell out of here because mm -hmm. life is hard, but uh, I don't, I want to be somewhere that's going to, of course, challenge me, but not make things worse, especially on a personal end. You know, when I first started freelancing, I started my ritual of waking up and reading for an hour every morning. And it doesn't change how I do my day. It doesn't change my work. Yeah. And I just felt like more calm and I felt like I was actually getting to exercise and just felt like I was taking better care of myself because yeah. I'm in control of my time. And I don't think it's for everybody. I think some people do need the structure of an office and, the, uh, you know, a nine to five or, mm -hmm. but that's just not me. Like I like to be in control of my own schedule. I like to be in control of my own time. And, and you're super organized with that time too, because mm -hmm. I think that's a misconception. If you're a freelancer, if you work for yourself that like, woohoo, it's just like this big free for all, but you have to be so, so organized if you really want to get your work done and not lose your mind. And mm -hmm. I think, especially if you're a designer, like you are carving out that time to step away is so, so important to clear your head so you can get these fresh ideas and you can approach your projects with a hundred percent of yourself. And my husband, Mike, who's an architect is like that too. He can get so crazed behind his screen. And I always try to encourage him, go walk around, go take mm -hmm. that time. It's hard when you love your job, but for you too, having that control over who you work with, what clients you can take on, how you approach those projects, you 
do need to kind of have like a little bit of a flexible schedule. That could mean you're working at 10 o'clock at night and people yeah. don't see that. Yeah. My day is very structured. It's just structured the way I want it to exactly. be. It's not somebody else's time. And it's, you yeah, know, and it, it was also work. like, I hated feeling bad for when I needed to ask off for something, you know, and maybe that's on me, but I definitely had mm-hmm. times at jobs where I felt like, oh, I feel guilty that I'm asking off for this. And the first a few months after I started freelancing, one of my close friends was diagnosed with breast cancer in Colorado. And she was out there, didn't have any family, you know, had some friends, didn't have like a huge support group network out there. And I was able to, without questioning it, get on a plane, grab my laptop and go be there with her for her first chemo and be there for this experience with her. And it was so nice that I didn't have to question it. I didn't have to ask anybody. And you know, that wasn't, and I, I'm luckily she's healthy and happy and everything's great now, but I was so glad I got to be there for that. And that sort of solidified it for me. Cause that was, I think three or four months after I started freelancing and I was like, wow, this alone was worth it that Mm -hmm. I can have this flexibility. And none of my clients knew where I was and they didn't care because I was answering my emails when they needed something. Maybe one good thing that comes out of this coronavirus is that I think those employers are finding that maybe their employees are working even harder and delivering better results being Mm -hmm. at home in the comfort of being able to do exactly what you just said, to be structured, still work very hard, but do it on their own terms and meet all those deadlines, but be a little bit more refreshed. What was one of those things in your career so far that you were like, holy shit, And I think I know the answer to this and I would like to bring it up, but I'm going to let you talk about it first. (laughs) But what was one thing where you're like, I'm doing this, this is working. I'm proud of myself. Do you have anything that comes to mind? Well, when my work started winning awards, which are maybe only meaningful to people in book design, but meant a lot to me. And, you know, one of my covers won the 50 Books, 50 Covers Award, which is the AIGA, you know, the biggest graphic arts institute institution. That was so validating and so nice where I was like, okay, this is what I'm doing is working. And I looked at who the judges were and they were designers that I looked up to. And I was like, oh my God. For my own business, it was within a few weeks of starting my own business that I was assigned the Oprah Winfrey book. And that was sort of like, (laughs) okay, like this is legitimate. When I started working on the Oprah book, that was, yeah, that was really validating for me because it was, you know, every day after school at four o'clock, I would come home and watch Oprah. It was the biggest person that I'd sort of been involved in. And it was a full production project for the book. It was the cover, it was the interior and printed on beautiful paper. And it just was a beautiful object that I was so proud of. So it was sort of validating to me where I thought, okay, I can do this. I can start my own business and I can get clients like this and I can work on these big projects. How did that introduction start? I had reached out to the publisher. You know, I was, I was pitching myself a lot in that month before. And that's a huge takeaway to anyone listening about freelance saying you have to pitch the shit out of yourself and it could be hundreds of emails and only one person responds similar to what you were saying about applying for jobs it doesn't end especially if you were working for yourself you have to just keep putting yourself out there within reason but you yeah, have to be okay yeah. with sometimes people just either saying no 
flat out not responding, which is probably 80% of the time or 90. And then you just keep trying because you never know. Like with you, I mean, yeah. you never know. Oprah calls. You, yeah, this was, yeah. So I had, I had, it was, you know, the publisher who was publishing it. I had reached right. out it to them. It wasn't herself. Yeah, it was not her. I, I would like to phone. imagine it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cover image is from, I think was taken like on her property. And so I just imagined that I was there for the photo shoot, even yeah. though I wasn't. With like but- a bounty of her, all of her vegetables yeah. and stuff. <laughs> Yeah. calling Jordan it's me yes yeah like that's so we're gonna ring go the story. gate yeah that's my <laughs> that's my fantasy that I was um but it was um so yeah no it was pitching yourself is so huge and so that month that I first started freelancing I basically got on LinkedIn every publisher's website that had a publicly listed art director I would reach out and my pitches when I reach out for freelancing are pretty just honest that month I was reaching out to people and I was like hey I'm losing my job and I'm starting my own business and I need clients. So, you know, I would love to work with you. I, you know, make it clear to them that I know what they're doing, that I understand the kinds of books that they work on and that why I want to work with them. So, you know, I keep it short. LinkedIn is great. You know, I think in the design world overlooked a little bit because it's not as visual as Instagram or Behance was before, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Because I was sort of wanting to build out a wide variety of, of titles and books that I, on LinkedIn could be like, oh, look at this company, look what they're doing. I want to work on these types of books. Who's the art director there? And you can look and see who the employees of that company are and figure out exactly who you're supposed to talk to. There was some of that in New York City when you would go to events. Printers would throw these big parties and I would be like, oh, that's Rodrigo Corral, the creative director from FSG. I'm going to go talk to him and become friends with him because I want to work with him. great at that. Like really, you have always been (laughs) such a great connector, people person, an extrovert in the right ways where you can Mm -hmm. just go up and make friends with so many people and that's a skill that not a lot of people have. I do not. I had to really like, <laughs> myself that at working in the store and, you know, I'm still nowhere close to you. So that is a huge. Yeah. I'm really good that. at talking to strangers. Yeah. Like you to are. a fault sometimes. I told you this recently, like you don't just stand there and wait for things to fall into your lap. And that alone, I don't care what industry you're in. That is such an important trait that carries over into your personal life, definitely your professional life. And a successful person can just say, I'm going to make this happen. Of course, you're going to have those moments where you want to cry, but you're just yeah. going to keep on moving. And, and sometimes people great. are rude and don't respond or don't oh, all reciprocate, time. you know? And so you just sort of have to accept that as part of it. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, you. making those connections, reaching out to people, not being afraid to be like, Hey, here's what I'm about. Here's what I'm doing. I really want to work with you. And also just making those personal connections. A lot of my work is with people that I've become friends with. Now that I'm coming up close on 10 years in my industry, starting to think, well, what else could I do? Or what else could I, how else can I grow as a designer? What else can I incorporate? Or, you know, what's another feather I can put in my cap? Well, the sky's the limit. You don't have to know it right this second, which is good. Yeah, it definitely, I haven't really, I never felt like starting my own business was a mistake. Obviously you're in a, a job that you love, but if you had to dip your toe in something else, a different industry, is there any other industry that in your daydreams that you kind of think of like, oh, that that sounds interesting. Um, I think, you know, and you and I have talked about this a little bit and has sort of come to something that I want to 
eventually dip my toe in or been interested in is I love interior design, textiles and fabrics and things like that. I know a lot of graphic designers actually who have switched to textile design and designing linens and throw pillows and and things like that for homes. That is something I'm really drawn to. And it reminds me a lot about what I like about designing books. One of the reasons I like designing for print is I love materials and love the kinds of paper that you use and the different laminations and effects and foils and and colors and things like that. And, you know, when I found myself shopping for things for my home, I just, the high that I get from that is even just rousing. Like I love interior design and love textile design and things like that. So I've definitely thought about maybe transitioning to that somehow, sort of incorporating that somehow into what I do. Could do a collaboration with a soft goods company or something like a company. Exactly. Yeah. So I've, you know, I've thought about stuff like that. And, you know, Massimo Vignelli, who rests in peace, was a big design icon of mine. He always said that if you're a good designer, you can design anything. I think that if you're someone who has an eye for color and a good sensibility of balance and contrast, movement, and all of these basic design elements, if you really have a strong understanding of that, then I think you really could do a lot of different things. This goes back to our SCAD days too, just like watching you in our painting classes or color theory, the things that you would come up with. You're a great painter and you're really great with pattern and texture and and that's showing in your work now. But for you to take that on would be an interesting move and something that you can easily do. And Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of being able to say yes or no to whatever venture you want. And if it works out, great. If it doesn't, then you move on. I'm not one of those people who thinks like, oh, I'm going to do the same thing for my whole life. I mean, maybe if I do, great you know if I get really good at it so I feel like I'm sort of moving into like the next quarter you know yeah. after uh, you know like it's sort of like what's what's the second quarter gonna look like what is right. how is this gonna be different you know because I've spent the last eight years sort of building friendships and relationships in my portfolio and all of this stuff worst case scenario I'll just go on Real Housewives and have a product that I sell and be <laughs> right yeah hey have why a- not? yeah <laughs> be a reality t- that's my that's my that's my second my backup plan in life is just to be a reality reality TV star who has some, right or just you know. the historian we we yeah. all have our <laughs> minor in real housewives yeah. or like bravo my PhD yeah, yeah exactly history. yeah um, okay so that actually is a perfect segue because my last and final question is what do you do to balance yourself and and throughout your days what are the things that keep you grounded inspired happy I know Bravo and reality TV shows are one of those <laughs> because we connect on that on a daily basis. Yes, yes. It's <laughs> yeah, nothing no. like having a bad day and then being like, like I've had days even in like the thick of newborn life and I'm like running around like a chicken with my head cut off and then I lay down and text my friends, can you believe Ramona did that? You still find time. Look, I, I argue with people where I say I don't think reality TV is all trash and I don't think it's no. not intellectual. I think that there is absolutely a sociological sort of I love watching women I love mm-hmm. you know, being inspired by women's journeys and women's stories especially older women and seeing yeah. what you know different phases of their life is like but I do remember I had a uh, 
a girl who had another girl I'd lived with in college who would be she would come home and she was like you read highbrow literature all day and then you come home and watch teen mom and I'm like yeah exactly yeah. like that's you know like that's it's the storytelling balance. it's character developments it's like humor. Yeah, it's, it has it everything is. yeah and I do think I, it's good to just find a way that like when I watch reality tv my brain feels like it's resting at the beginning of the pandemic did I watch Beverly Hills from start to finish again yes but I also read War and Peace you know like I I, I, I love high and low so it's good to balance it out totally and you know I really like I said I, I like having a full life I don't like just doing one thing all the time that I don't think I'm, I'm never going to be one of those people where my whole life is my job owning my own business has made me be able to exercise more. I, I'm not super athletic, but into what one of my friends calls, I'm a, I'm a hippie athlete and that <laughs> I love yoga and hiking. You Who's know, that hiking lady that you love, the at-home yoga? Adrian. Adrian. What's her, her with Adrian. It, it's Her name is Adrian Mishler. Her YouTube channel is Yoga with Adrian. And that okay. has been literally life-saving. I mean, A, it's yoga helped me gain my ability to walk again you know it's like it's like physical therapy for me but it's also mental therapy and those things keep me really balanced and not losing sight of the things that I love to do in my life being with friends and going to concerts and I love to read I'm so glad that I haven't you know I I know some people who are a little jaded in my industry were like I don't read books anymore because I have to read so much for work I'm so glad that's not me yet I Mm -hmm. still love to just escape in a novel that has never been lost on me I've always loved that feeling not feeling like oh if I'm not in front of my computer for 14 hours today then I'm not a good business person I'm happy that I think society is sort of stepping away from that hopefully even more so in this new year I hope we're normalizing that stepping away is really the biggest thing that you can do for yourself I always admire that about you that you really do live such a well-rounded life and you're so curious about seeking more but not just like I have to do everything it's more you're just very open to just diving into life and that is always something from day one I've admired about you and that you've just continued that looking at this new phase improving upon what we've learned post-grad I can't believe it's it's almost 10 years since college I'm excited to see what you're going to do next I have been so inspired by you and your business acumen as I remember talking to you before I went freelance and you said something to me that has never left my brain when you were talking about owning your own business and you were like, well, I just have to figure out where to find money, figure it out. Like, well, this is what I need to live. This is what, so I'm going to figure out how to go out there and get it. Not sitting, waiting for it to come to you, just figuring out like how to seek it out and how to, you have to be kind of like, you've been so scrappy about you know figuring out what works and quickly realizing what doesn't and you know pivoting and between e-commerce to start you know your original online store I I remember what was it 88 yeah I did my Etsy all throughout you had an Etsy in college you were always such a so entrepreneurial and had like such a hustler And I think that is one of the biggest things that I've gained from our relationship is watching that play out. And I think you and I both have that same drive of like, well, I'm going to go get it. If this is what I need, I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to find it and trusting that you will figure it out. Like I've never at any point not been able to pay my bills because I've always just made sure that, okay, well, even if it's not something that I need, if this is a a way to make money for right now, then I'm going to figure it out and Mm -hmm. sort of being uh, flexible, but also just being in 
the deep end, but you always, you figure out how to swim. Yeah. And that balance between being creative and ambitious and also being a little type A, very organized and big on communication. A lot of times those things don't really go hand in hand or Mm -hmm. people from the outside looking in might think, well, you're either one or the other and see it in you. And I see it in so many other people that we went to school with. And I think SCAD did a, a pretty good job at attracting people like that too, where it's like, yes, we are creative. We have all these ideas, but we're attempting to reel it in and make it work for us and serve us functionally in life. Mm -hmm. Exactly. um, If anyone's listening and they're a student and they're interested in SCAD or, you know, is this one big commercial for SCAD? I know. (laughs) (laughs) We're open to a sponsorship. Call us, sponsor us. (laughs) Are you listening? I mean, we we loved it and it brought us so many things. And then it also brought us together, which is something we're just always going to have until the end of time. No, it's true. It was the first time I met you. I was like, oh, this is exactly the kind of person that I want to be friends with. You know, it was like, this is exactly, you know, (laughs) it was somebody who wants to blast Rilo Kylie in our matching Jettas as we go thrifting. And yep you know, pick out beautiful home goods, like and drink good. wine. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, just dive right into life. And I, I will always just look back on that time as that like grow and learn and make mistakes. I could cry thinking about how special that whole time was. Anyone listening, get your ass down to SCAD yeah. even, or to Savannah. I, I don't know if they're open right now. I hope they're not because uh, the time that we're living in. Probably are. <laughs> God bless the South. <laughs> they're living on their own timeline and for better. They are. No one's rushing them anyway where and oh no gonna, yeah no, no we could all use be... a, a dose of that i think mm-hmm. so I hope you enjoyed episode four of Her Own Universe with my guest and friend, Jordan Wanamaker. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you can listen to all of the new episodes coming your way after the holidays. Next week is going to be the last episode of the year with someone that I know you're going to find really interesting, especially if you're interested in local political careers and how you can get involved in your community on a small scale. If you're interested in politics, I think you're going to like this guest. Um, After her, we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus for the holiday season, and then a new batch of episodes will be released in the new year. Have a great week, and thank you for listening. Bye.